Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Something hits you. Hard and sharp. Pain. Adrenaline panic. Hello everyone, and welcome to the History of Byzantium, episode 166, To the City. You are standing by a large wall. It's dirty and grey. High above it looms a tower, cleaner, with lines of red brick breaking up the dullness. A moat keeps you at a respectful distance, its fetid waters another deterrent. You look left and right. All you can see is wall. Behind you, empty countryside. Nothing. No sound. No people. More disconcerting than this barren landscape is that you don't know how you got here. You search your mind for the last thing you remember, but nothing comes. Nothing but pain? Hello, friend. You're startled. A young man is approaching. You had no idea he was there. How did you not see him? Unless he came from behind the wall. I've been expecting you. Uh, that's not... Uh, I, I can't... You, um... Deckark Stephen? At the sound of your name and rank, you habitually stand to attention. I have been sent by Ardominus to guide you around the city. He gestures toward the walls. Come with me, please. He smiles and turns and begins to stride along the walls. You follow. How do you know me? I don't. The young man replies, not breaking his stride. But how did you know it was me? I was told to meet a soldier outside the Charisius Gate, a deckarch named Stephen, who wouldn't know where he was. I don't know where I am. But you do know who you are. Yes. Then we're both in the right place. He smiles. From his confident voice and clean clothes, you guess he's a nobleman. It's only at this point that you realize you are also in a nice, fresh tunic. You don't recognize it, but it seems to fit you perfectly. How did you know I was a soldier? Your sword. You look down. On the side of your belt hangs a short sword. You run your hand down the leather holding it. Suddenly, you remember something. A flash of pain. 
in your side. Uh, excuse me, um, how did I get here? Where was I? I don't know. He says this with a level of warmth you weren't expecting, as if the question was so irrelevant that he was amused by it. Up ahead you can see a small group of people. Several wagons are lined up on the road, irritable donkeys attached to them, and five men standing in a circle, casually chatting. To their right you can see some soldiers standing by an opening in the wall. Um, I'm sorry, who are you? And and where are we going? The young man stops and turns to you. Again with a smile he says, Where do you think we are? Um, you look around. The curve of the wall now reveals large buildings in the distance, enormous constructions jutting out above the wall as it snakes away in front of you. You've never seen a castle of such size. It seems to stretch way back out of view. The only place you can imagine of such grandeur would be Constantinople. That's right. Welcome to the city. The young man moves forward again, and you see now through the gate a sudden glimpse of the cityscape. You're astonished. Domes, crosses, and even figures of men appear in the distance, high above the roofs of a thousand smaller structures. You try to inch your way across to see more, but you're a little apprehensive of jumping the queue, these farmers are clearly waiting for permission to enter from the soldiers guarding the gate. Come on. But the young man pays them no heed. He confidently marches through the centre of them and into the city. You nervously follow, but the soldiers don't seem to notice. I, I don't understand. How did I get here? I don't know. Comes the inevitably chirpy reply. Uh, please, please, can we stop? The young man glides to a halt and looks at you obligingly. I seem to have lost my memory. I, I don't know how I got here. I, I don't know where I'm supposed to be. If you were not supposed to be here, you wouldn't be here. Yes. <laughs> um. Haven't you always wanted to see Constantinople? Well... Yes, of course. You'd spent your whole life in Cappadocia. You'd never even seen Amorium. The furthest you'd been was the trade fair at Caesarea. I'm from Cappadocia, you offer. Sebastea. This brings no reaction from the young man. He tilts his head, waiting for more. I mean, that's that's where I'm from. That's That's where I was. How did I get here. I don't know, the young man says. He had, after all, answered that question already. He puts his hand on your shoulder, leans towards you, and says, I don't think it matters where you were. You're here now, and you only have one day to see the city. I have been sent to show you where you need to go. I think you need to stop looking back and start to look forward. You look into his kind eyes. It feels impossible to disagree. Yes, of course. He smiles and nods. To the city, then.
Constantinople. All your life the city had glimmered in your imagination. You remember quizzing Sergius about it when he returned from his visit. He was useless at describing what he'd seen. He talked about giant buildings and crowds and the smell, but he hadn't conjured up the excitement of seeing it for the first time. It was so... alien. Your mounting excitement was now met with slight confusion. You had just entered the city gates, and yet the city seemed to be miles away. All that was around you now was farmland and a few scattered church buildings. A beautiful orchard lay to the right of the road. Lovely, isn't it? The young man said, as if anticipating your thoughts. There is room in the city for all the necessities of life. That seemed to be all there was to it. You begin to relax a little. The whole surreal experience was out of your hands. You'd put your trust in this young man and his confident manner. As he strides ahead of you, you look him up and down. You realise now that he must also be a soldier. He too has a short sword in his belt and has military boots on under his otherwise immaculate civilian clothes. He must be a nobleman's son, although his red-blonde hair hints at some northern blood in his family. Perhaps one of his parents is a recent migrant to Romania, as your own mother was. She was from Iberia, married a Roman soldier, and moved to Cappadocia, where you were born. Ahead on the left you see the sunlight glinting off a huge pool of water. It's a lake in the middle of the city. But a man-made one, its rectangular shape giving away its origins. A cistern, the young man acknowledges. To save water for the dry season. As the hill to your left begins to drop, you spy the sea in the distance, ships of various sizes dotting the water, a flock of gulls rising and dropping over them. It's very beautiful, you say. And then silence. A long silence. You decide to fill it. Somehow it feels rude to ask what your guide's name is. It feels as if you'd missed the window for introductions. Um, where are you from? Palestine. Really? Yes. He adds nothing to this extraordinary statement. You ponder how this could possibly be true. You suppose he could be from a Christian family there that had moved to Romania, but you're distracted by a wagon being pulled by two horses which is coming briskly towards you up the road. The young man lets it whisk past him without concern. You hurry back towards the edge of the road to get out of the way. The driver didn't seem to care that he might have hit you. He continued on his journey without a glance in your direction. Fellow travellers are now thicker on the ground, as are city residents. Men dragging produce toward the city centre, women and children struggling with buckets of water. Residences begin appearing on each side of the road, some no different to those you'd seen back home, but others far grander. You catch glimpses of courtyards and columns and small chapels 
whose crosses poke up above the surrounding buildings. Your eye is drawn further ahead to the towering monuments now coming closer into focus. The wonders of Constantinople were so near. It was finally dawning on you that this was really happening, that you were going to see the Hagia Sophia. Look there, the young man suddenly said. He points to an old crumbling wall. It didn't look like much, just a small section of what had once probably been a larger barrier. This wall was built by Constantine, the first. You're confused by this statement. Didn't he build those? You gesture back towards the giant walls you'd first appeared in front of. No, they were added a century later. A century? How how long ago did Constantine live? The young man gives another of his smiling answers. Seven hundred years ago. The words are almost meaningless to you. You don't even know how old you are. You know you're in your thirties, but the exact number of years would be too difficult to calculate. Seven hundred, you muse. It's a lot to comprehend. The stranger adds sympathetically. You're lucky. Today you have access to the truth. Few ever have that chance. And with that he continued to walk. Your mind drifts back. There was a boy in your unit who could remember every summer he'd lived with great clarity. But no one knew how long old churches had stood or or when the fort was built. No one had ever put such a firm number to anything. Wait, the fort. Hadn't you been there this morning? Hadn't you been saddling up for some reason? We've come to our first stop, the young man pointed. The Church of the Holy Apostles. Ahead stood a giant structure. Trees lining the side of the slope had obscured your view until now. The closer you get, the more amazed you become at its proportions. Columns the size of two men, arches standing higher than any building you'd ever seen. And above that, giant domes stretch away beyond your vision. You'd known that churches in the West were bigger and more beautiful than those propped up on hillsides or carved from caves in your homeland, but this was on a scale you couldn't quite comprehend. How, you wondered, had anyone ever scaled so high to build such a thing? There are flowing words inscribed on the outside of the building. You look at them, but you can't read. The stranger stands next to you and without being asked, begins to read aloud. Mark is put to death by the people of Alexandria. The great sleep of life Matthew sleeps. Rome sees Paul die by the sword. Philip is given what was given Peter. Bartholomew suffers death on the cross. Simon too on the cross ends his life. In Rome, vain Nero crucifies Peter. In life and death John lives. Luke died peacefully at the end. The men of Patras brutally crucified Andrew. A knife severs the life paths of James. Lances kill Thomas in India. The names were familiar, but you weren't sure of the connection between them. 
The young man again provided the answer. This church is dedicated to the Twelve Apostles. This list shows how they ended their life. Eleven who followed Jesus and Paul. It was felt that he should replace Judas. He said with his knowing smile. Something about that list sends a shiver of sadness through you. Come on, let's go inside. You want to object that you're not worthy, not ready, but by now you felt helpless to resist the instructions of your auburn-haired guide. The church doors were open and the brilliant light of the day was suddenly dulled by the giant shade of the building's interior. You gasp upon entering the building. High above you, the domed roof is covered in gold, and in amongst the gold are images, lifelike pictures, men, women, crowds, action. You've never seen anything so beautiful, so complicated, so clearly beyond the scope of a normal artist. You stand, gawping, your neck bent backwards as you begin to discern angels and images of Christ. Seeing Jesus's eyes high above you, you drop to your knees. You'd quite forgotten yourself upon entering the church. You touch the ground out of respect and begin to give a prayer of thanks for your safe arrival in the city. The young man beckons you over to a pillar, and you sit side by side, leaning against it. Are we allowed to sit here? you ask. Yes, he says simply. And so you sit, side by side, for some time. Occasionally he points out a particular image, telling you what it represents, usually a scene from the Gospels. At other times, he remains silent. You can feel tears welling inside your face. You feel very ashamed and try to conceal them. But the young man puts a hand on your forearm and squeezes. He closes his eyes as if in prayer, and you let the tears flow. You don't know if you're crying because of the awe-inspiring surroundings or for some other reason. When you've finished, the young man gets up and leads you deeper inside the church. You don't ask how you have permission to be here. A few priests walk past but don't seem to care about your presence. To one side of the building is a fine-looking tomb with inscriptions on it. This is the resting place of St. Andrew, the first apostle to be called. You look at the slabs of marble which formed the tomb and respectfully kneel and kiss the edge of it. Are all twelve buried here? You sense the sliver of a smirk from the stranger, but quick as a flash he's back to kindness. No, they rest elsewhere. He gestures with his head, and you move silently out of the church. As you emerge back into sunshine, you feel a sense of relief. Your faith in your guide is more solid. You realize as you glance back at the church that you won't ever fully understand this place, 
either how you got here or how it all came together. But it doesn't matter. It's enough to be here. The young man pushes on down the main road ahead of you. A short distance away you can see the street finally begin to resemble a city. You'd been inside the walls of Caesarea. You'd seen busy streets crowded with structures, and it seemed finally as if you were going to experience the clutter of the capital. But oh my lord, again the slope of the hill had concealed another monster of human construction. A series of gigantic arches stretch along the left-hand side of the road and on to the next hill a mile away. You are agog at such a sight. Just after thinking you'd come to terms with Constantinople, this amazing structure has your mind reeling again. That is a part of the city's water system, the young man says with his casual authority. An aqueduct that helps bridge the valley between the two hills. You don't bother with any follow-up questions. You just marvel at it as you make your way down the slope. By now, side streets are appearing off the main road. Some paved, some just lines of worn-away grass. Familiar housing can be seen in every direction. Small shacks, crowded tenements, modest houses. All around, a constant stream of people can now be spotted and smelt. At one turning, a man is bent over, relieving himself into a communal cesspit. Further down the road, pigs are noisily being fed behind a fence. Another man just spits on the ground right in front of the young man, who deftly steps over it without breaking his stride. It's not all filth. Church domes are visible behind the shops that now line each side of the road. Stalls selling food and water sit on the pavements, though no one offers you anything. While behind them, you can see storerooms full of baskets and candles and other goods. We're now approaching the Messy, the main street of the city, the young man tells you. It will be extremely busy, so watch where you step. He wasn't wrong. A large open square connects our road to the Messy, and it's packed with people. I can see men gambling and children playing, Exhausted-looking porters struggle past carrying loads on their backs. Everywhere people are talking in raised voices, and you hear accents and even languages you don't recognize. It's all quite overwhelming. You see one man standing completely still, unaffected by the hubbub. You wonder what his secret is, until, as you spy him from a different angle, you realize it's a statue. You've never seen one so lifelike before, it's extraordinary. You can see others now, but have no time to stop, as the young man has already pushed on into the high street, and you can't afford to lose him. Turning onto the messy, you are once again staggered. A giant column that had been looming for some time now dominates the skyline, and each side of the street is lined with columns with roofing attached to provide shade, just as you're trying to absorb it all, people shove past you, forcing you to jump back almost into a cheese shop. You dart forward again, keeping your guide's red hair always in sight. The experience of such humanity is more than you can really take. You're very relieved to see the road open out into another square and rush to the young man who's waiting for you. He takes you to one side to rest. I'm afraid of losing you in the crowds, 
What's your name, in case I have to call out? George, he says. Oh, you'd assumed that he would have some grand Constantinopolitan name, like Eleutherius or Polyuctus or something. Again, you feel inadequate. Should you be calling him George, son of so-and-so? Or by his rank, perhaps? He leads you along a colonnaded walkway and points out the giant public square ahead. The Forum of Theodosius. You look at it. The giant column was most impressive, but around it, well, it, it was a livestock market. Pens full of sheep, goats, and cattle covered most of the space. Again, anticipating your questions, the young man explained, Theodosius was emperor a short while after Constantine. He built this forum to commemorate his reign. Recently it was decided that the space would be better used to bring animals to the people. I think you'll want to see the column, though. And with that, he walked straight out into the square and between two pens, right up to the column base. You rush after him, again surprised by the lack of attention you receive from the farmers tending to their noisy charges. The column base is massive, taller and wider than any man. On it are carved images, presumably of the emperor and his court. You smile at George. It's impressive, but uh, you were wedged into a tight space and there's nowhere to go. He puts his hands together and braces for your weight, offering to hoist you higher. Oh, no, that's that's fine, really. I wouldn't want to, uh, to be up there. I, I might fall. Don't worry. I'll hold you. Just have a look. Again, it was impossible to argue. You put one foot in his hands and a hand on his shoulder. He hoists you up with no apparent strain. Was nothing difficult for him? You put your hands on top of the column base to steady yourself, and you look. As you'd seen from a distance, the column itself has similar carvings on it to the base, but what you hadn't taken in was that the figures on it rose and wrapped themselves around the column, telling a story that snaked up thirty metres into the sky. Astonishing. Who had carved this? How? As you look closer, you see the details of soldiers' uniforms, creases in their clothing, and even action scenes of men being killed. Slowly, George lowers you to the ground, it's amazing. How did they do that? I believe they carved it before they raised it in the air. You look at him confused for a second, and then a broad smile spreads across his face. Why am I here? You finally ask. Come on, he says, still smiling. Further down the crowded street, he disappears into a shop. You follow and enter the doorway, and as your eyes adjust to the gloom, you realise that it's a taverna, a tavern. The young man sits you in a corner while he fetches some food and drink. You think that he's going to answer your questions, but instead you end up answering his. He asks about your family and your home. So you tell him about how your father died when you were young, 
and how your mother took care of you, about her devotion to her icons, about how you took over your father's position in the theme armies and the fort you served at in Sebastea. You end up telling him the story of your life. Wait, the fort, the fort. You struggle again to recall when you were last there. You were getting on your horse for some reason. You feel a tingle in your side. Come on, let's go. Again, the young man is on the move. No, wait, I'm trying to remember how I got here. We don't have very long left in the city. What? Why? What what do you mean? Come on, our time is short, and you still have much to see. And he was already out the door. You're annoyed by this. You appreciate his kindness, but you know he's keeping you in the dark. And by now you've realized he won't leave you, either. So you take your time standing up, and thank the owner of the taverna for the lovely wine he'd served. No reaction. It was as if he couldn't hear you. And then you knew. Hey, hey, you catch up with George a few meters down the road. Why didn't you tell me? He puts a hand firmly on your shoulder. You're surprised by the force and directness of the action. You only have one chance to see the wonders you never thought you'd see. Don't squander it. He turned and walked briskly ahead. You follow, but with a growing sense of dread. You enter another giant public square. This one was not being used for livestock. Instead, money changers and bankers sat around its edges at tables. You stared at a nearby surface covered in more gold coins than you ever remember seeing. Beyond them, jewels of green and red sit on another table. The whole square is a hugely impressive sight. Beyond the assembled wealth... Just to carve out this circular space amidst the chaos made a distinct impression, and it was surrounded by colonnades and decorated with statues, each more lifelike than the last. Two in particular drew the eye, one a giant woman, twice the height of any man with arm outstretched. Athena, the young man says. You furrow your brow. The name is familiar. Wasn't she a... A pagan god? The young man confirms this to be the case. The other statue looks equally ancient. A sun god of some kind that he tells you has been made to look like the Emperor Constantine. Why are heathen gods still standing here? Aren't they beautiful to look at? This answer seems very inadequate to you. Your mother had been deeply concerned that you not be dragged into sinful practice by those who drifted too far from the church, and these statues fill you with a deep unease. On you go, though, the young man moving again at his brisk pace. Palatial houses now line the streets, and your pulse quickens as you see what must be the Ahia Sophia looming ever higher in front of you. But you also notice that shopkeepers are packing up their stalls. It doesn't yet seem dark, but the afternoon sun has certainly dropped lower in the sky. 
You'd been unaware of time for most of the day. Where were you going to stay tonight? Ahead you can see another public square, with another huge column standing in it, along with more statues. It all looks very impressive, though at this point you're looking past all of it to the great church, its gigantic size only now fully dawning on you. You glance to your right at some women walking past, and suddenly double-take. To the right of the square, another wonder beyond all expectation. A giant arena stands. Through gaps in the gate, you can just make out seats lining one side, and a central spine filled with more antique statuary. The Hippodrome. Your mind flits back to Sergius and his inadequate descriptions of the chariot races. A hand grasps your elbow. The young man doesn't say anything, he just pulls you away and on towards the cathedral. Constantinople is just too vast to be seen in a day. Every street corner hides another wonder from a time beyond your understanding. Was that built seven hundred years ago? Five hundred? A thousand? It was as if this place was built by Athena and her fellow gods in a time before men walked the earth. <sighs> as if to confirm that to be true, you turn through the statue-strewn square and see the Hagia Sophia directly for the first time. It was like a mountain amongst the monuments, climbing so high it obscured the sun. As you enter the building, you no longer feel like yourself. You're numb from the absorption of sights and sounds. The inside of the church was somehow vaster than it had seemed from the outside. Light streamed in from distant windows, showing the beautiful decoration of every surface. You now knew that no one could see you. You stagger to the middle of the building and stare up at the ceiling. Your eyes follow the images up to the giant Christ directly above you. It feels as if he's staring only at you. Now you recall what Sergius had said, that God lived here. It was far truer than you'd ever given him credit for. You sink to the ground and begin to pray. You can sense George has come over after a few minutes, and you become self-conscious about sweat breaking out across your whole body. You look up and say to him, I don't want to die. Come with me. You've only got one more place to see. You pass by the church and move through back streets where no one seems to be. There are no shops here, and the sea feels very close. Churches and other large buildings dot the road as the light begins to fade. Where are we going? No reply. George just strides ahead. 
He walked so quickly that I could barely keep up, and he ignored my repeated pleas for more information. Here we are. You weave in and out of a complex of buildings. You see some men in robes pass by and assume correctly that you're in a monastery. Maybe, maybe you were wrong. Maybe you really are here, and you're going to stay in the monastery, and, and these monks might be able to explain how you got here. You finally stop at the doors of a chapel. All your questions will be answered here. He ushers you inside. The chapel is lit by candles and is empty. You walk forwards. There isn't much to see by candlelight. You turn expectantly, but no one is there. You look around. You can't see George anywhere. You walk back to the doors and peer into the gloom. But there's no sign of him. Hello? Nothing. You walk back into the middle of the chapel and look around. Near the altar is an icon surrounded by candles. You approach, hoping that George will be waiting in the shadows to explain what's going on. You look at the icon It's a picture of a young man, a man with red hair, in soldier's uniform. Now you understand. You try to cling on. You fail. You fall. You move on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 